you know, digital twin is something that is absolutely applicable to our industry, but it is something that, that I think is going to be uh, debated for years to come. I mean, think about it. LOD is still being debated. Uh, and that's something that's been going on for, for a decade or longer. So you guys excited to be, have you been on a podcast before? Uh, kind of, uh, we've made a little, you know, we've jumped into like the contact podcast, um, you know, but, but never like a full hour, you know, conversation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been, I've been on a few panels, but, but no, <clears throat> I think this is our first like true, like podcast episode, at least that I've been a part of. That's exciting. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, I'm still, I'm still learning how to do these. So every day is an adventure. Um, so maybe to kick us off, uh, I'd like for each of you maybe to just give a quick blurb about kind of who you are. Um, and outside of the Revitsto part, we'll talk about that as a high level so we can really set the stage what our main conversation is going to be. But I'd love to start with Daniel and just give me, you know, a quick background about kind of who you are, where you come from, so that we sort of can set that stage moving forward. Sure, sure. So my name is Daniel Buckner, and I am the Southeast Territory Manager for Revisto. But I've actually been in the AEC technology industry since about 2008. I started in the Autodesk channel, and I actually had the benefit to having a lot of uh, really engaged and helpful sales or solutions engineers uh, around me during my learning phase. So I had, uh, you know, sheet uh, metal um, uh, professionals helping me out. I had civil engineers. I had BIM professionals really teaching me and educating me about the process early in my career. And it, and it really stuck with me. So I had been with uh, resellers for a number of years and then went to uh, spent some time with the new format. So I got a lot of background of the document management and the communication and, and what that infrastructure takes to actually run a project away from the user base. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's, I definitely miss the BIM world. I miss being on the cutting edge of this technology. And uh, I landed with Revisto about two and a half years ago, taking over their Southeastern territory here and never looked back. So it's pretty fun, exciting to be back in the, the cutting edge of this portion of the industry. That's exciting. Uh, Brett, what about you, man? Yeah, so my career has been kind of funny. I'll start uh, back at the beginning. So my dad's a construction superintendent, or he was, um, and I was his uh, video game nerd kid. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so uh, what really got me into the industry was is I had a really great drafting teacher when I was in high school. So I started using AutoCAD and stuff like that when I was about 14. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I went to a tech school, got out, uh, had some jobs early uh, in GIS and GPS, worked for a municipality do, doing uh, civil construction and civil design construction inspection. Uh, after that, I did some consulting on some rare earth metal projects on the civil side uh, in California. Uh, I also ended up at an Autodesk reseller for about four and a half years, starting as a civil uh, AEC specialist, but grew into uh, pretty much everything except Inventor. I uh, okay. was the only one that only one that I could never really nail down. Uh, <laughs> spent about four and a half years doing that, and then I managed technology at an industrial EPC here in St. Louis for about six and a half years. Okay. And then I moved to Revisto about three years ago and have been uh, basically growing our customer success team since then. Oh, awesome. 
Um, so I'm, I'm excited to have you both. I, uh, so when we decided to do season two, well, we kind of have like an overarching theme and it really was around innovation. And uh, part of that I think had to do with some of the, the changes we were doing here at Applied Software. So like there was this long-term theme of innovation. And then we try to like break it down into segments. And, you know, I looked at, um, you know, our conversation today was around uh, sort of the high level of Revisto, but then how it plays into digital twins. And there seems to be a whole lot of opportunity there. And we'll kind of look at that in a few minutes or talk to, about that. But in my view, you know, there is a lot of innovation that goes around that. So that's why we thought it was pretty fitting. Before we really get diving into that topic, I'd love for one of you to give the or really sort of talk at a high level, kind of set the stage of what Revisto is. So then as we start talking about digital twins, we could see kind of how it plays in and, you know, where things go from there. Yeah, so um, Revisto, if I were to say it in one sentence, it is essentially a BIM intelligent design review, QA and coordination environment. Um, you, you know, one of the things that we try to do is democratize the process, make these tools a little bit easier to use. Um, coming from, uh, you know, this industry, it's, it's really hard to get people that haven't lived and breathed models and Navisworks and Revit to really use this information. Mm -hmm. in a way that makes a lot of sense. So that is one aspect of Revisto is, is bringing some of this complicated information to the masses um, and, and also retain all of the intelligence that, that we put into these models, right? And prevent context switching. And so it's a centralized environment for all of your visual coordination information, in, in, including the, the model data, uh, which you'll see in 5.0. So, it, it's one of those situations where we wanted everyone on the same platform and we really wanted to prevent the situation where it's like you're in a coordination meeting and you've got 18 applications up on the big screen. Uh, let's look, let's look at the point cloud. Let's look at the, the data. Let's look at the model. Let's look at the drawings. And uh, really it's just about bringing all that information together and uh, onto a platform that people can immediately coordinate on and that we can extract the data for uh, reporting purposes and, and really just bring that whole ecosystem together mm -hmm. uh, in, in one platform that's easy for people to access. Daniel, what, what other stuff you wanna to add to that? Sure. So when we're talking about innovation, we coming from the BIM world, we can kind of anticipate some of these hurdles that we're going to run into with digital twins and with advancements in AEC technology. Mm -hmm. And right now the technology is kind of, um, it's, it's advancing faster than many of the project team have access to kind of leverage it to find value. You have one group over here trying to perfect um, augmented reality and then another group who is just getting used to digital tablets and 2D drawings and that was one of the biggest uh, business portions of Revista that we wanted to attack. We want to combine both worlds because let's face it, the, the guys and women out on the construction site have a level of expertise that have been traditionally boxed out from the BIM process. So mm -hmm. we're cultivating two cultures here and even in the most advanced um, firms and the advanced projects, bridging that gap has been really hard. So what Revista is aimed to do is um, combine both those worlds and appeal to both of uh, both those worlds, allowing a shop foreman to approve welds to optimize their fabrication and field superintendents 
to verify slab penetrations, all based off information that typically may not have been accessible to them. And at the same time, really not making that product feel like it's training wheels for the people who are BIM professionals. We want them to benefit from this information and Revisto really just bridges the gap between those two really foreign worlds. The, uh, it's interesting because when I sort of, I, I did a presentation on uh, digital twins a, a couple weeks ago. And when I was doing my research and looking it up, I came across a quote where they were discussing the fact that, you know, we're, we're in a data driven world. So Brett, you even spoke to all the data that's, you know, we're collecting and all this, but, and that what we need to do is change our, um, our thought to that. We need to treat data as an asset and we need to consider for some, even changing our business model to, uh, to accommodate for that new asset that we have been collecting for a long time. And I think, you know, digital twins have been around for a long time. And I think the reason they're becoming um, more, they're growing in popularity is for a long time, we've started collecting all this data and now we're kind of out of a point where it's okay, well, what do I do with it? You know, I, I have it all, um, but I haven't done anything with it. I don't know if I'm even tracking the, what I'm supposed to track. What do we need to do? And what was interesting is when, during that research, I came across a quote um, that by uh, Paul Serene. I, he was a global lead at a built-in um, environment for IBM. And what he said was that it really starts with a central problem that needs solving. A lot of times we'll jump right to the technology to try to solve it without actually understanding what we're trying to solve. And we just throw technology at it for the sake of throwing at it. So it's really being able to understand the data, whatever that may be, um, which is pretty critical. And it seems like that's something that um, you all have tried to tackle and make it where it is, you know, an easier medium to digest. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. That's a good way to kind of put it because we are approaching this as just like BIM, this is a process and we've branded Bravisto as an integrated collaboration platform, not an issue tracker, not a model viewer, not um, a common data environment. It is a collaboration platform. And if you come at this, uh, this process like, oh, I can go buy a solution to solve a problem, you're really not attacking it like you say. You, you have to get at the source of the problem, identify it, and then start to build the platform and the solution from there. It can't just be cherry picking features of what you like. You have to have so many considerations and a longer term solution in mind. And I'm, man, I'm guilty as anyone because I will look for sure. an app for anything. It's like, oh, I really, you know, I, I need to stop biting my fingernails. Maybe there's an app that can help me do that. Or, you know, I, which that's a true one. I did. I looked up an app because I've bit my fingernails for a long time. And then when COVID came around, I'm like, oh, man, now it's like life or death. I need to stop biting my fingernails. So I looked up and like, sure enough, there are like habit tracker apps that can help you. But then you have to like log it. And so, you know, I'm guilty as anyone at throwing technology at a solution. So it is a common problem. 
Um, and I think something that a lot could benefit from is really understanding what technology they actually need. But it really all goes to understanding what we're supposed to be tracking, right? Well, yeah, I, I mean, a, a really good point is, is uh, you know, and a lot of firms have been tackling implementation of different types of technology for, you know, ever since I started in the industry. And one of the things that happens is exactly what you just said uh, at my old firm. Uh, and, and these problems play into each other. Accessibility and collecting uh, or using data, not just collecting it, go hand in hand. A uh, good example at my old firm would be when, when I came on board, my goal was to take a firm from you know, AutoCAD 2005 and PDF drawings to a you know, full kind of scale modern operation as far as you know, technology goes in the field and in the office. And uh, what happened was, as you start to implement the technology, you start to create data that you've never created before in terms of models, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, all the data that's connected to it, in terms of the specifications, the vendor drawings, all of that. And then what happens is, is a few years later, you find yourself sitting there on a mountain of data that no one knows how to use. Yep. And, or visualize. Or visualize, exactly. Uh, and on top of that, uh, one of the big problems I had is that we worked with a ton of senior engineers, right? And these people were brilliant people, uh, but they were, you know, some of them were in their mid 60s, some were even in their early 70s. And as we implemented technology, their ability to use it or even be involved in the project like they were before started to drift away and they started to become frustrated. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, we know that you're implementing this stuff and we know that we need to do it. But for some reason, we feel like we're being shut out. And a yep. lot of that is because there were no tools available that they could use to access that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one of our big focuses. It's not only using this data that we collect, but putting it into a platform that people can actually take advantage of. And, uh, you know, with Revisto, before I came on board, I was actually a potential customer. And that's where I really got uh, uh, interested in coming here is because I seen the technology, I seen the way that it was working with my senior members inside of my company. And, and I just really thought it was something that the industry could use and it was a great opportunity to, to sort of attempt to shift the way the industry works with this data. The, um, yeah, it, you know, I've actually, this has nothing to do with digital twins, but the idea of, you know, different sections or different um, segments of a company being able to interact with certain information and the voids that get created. I've looked at, you know, there are solutions that we can create to help bridge those gaps. Again, it, you know, you might use technology to do it or you might create dashboards to, to visualize it, but it seems like there's a, there's an opportunity there uh, to be able to sort of pull, you know, pull everyone that has drifted so far apart because of technology together. Uh, as we shift towards, you know, digital twins and really starting to talk a little bit about that. Again, when I was doing this research, I was, uh, you know, I've heard of digital twins and I, but I was, I didn't realize how long the concept had been around. And in fact, it was actually in like the sixties, NASA, they created, uh, they used pairing technology is what they, they deemed the, um, was there the precursor for digital twins? We'll put it that way. And one of the examples I came across was actually in the movie Apollo 13. There's a scene where they, uh, you know, there's something going wrong on the spaceship. They walk into a conference room and they just throw a bunch of junk on a table. 
And I think one of the quotes was, we need to make this fit into a hole made for uh, using this, you know. And that was really the beginning of Digital Twins, which was being able to uh, work on something when you weren't physically there. So we can actually, in a conference room, start to build or create something that would be replicated on a, on a spaceship. Uh, and so I was surprised to see that. What I also was surprised to see is that there is no definition of digital twin that anyone can agree on. And I think we can have a, a great debate here, here in a second. Um, you know, for my presentation, what we landed on was the, the simplest definition I could find, which was a digital representation of a physical asset that we then can use for simulation and what if analysis, um, because there really is, there's too many options. So, you know, I'm curious to get some of your thoughts as we sort of start to talk about digital twins do you have your own definitions or have you come across definitions as to, you know, what really is a digital twin? Yeah, so uh, this is a really, really interesting concept and something that I've thought a lot about. Uh, when you look at it from a marketing standpoint, if you notice, Revisto has never marketed itself as a digital twin platform. Um, but in a sense, we absolutely are. And I think a lot of the reason that we do that is because we're waiting for the industry to agree on a definition of what digital twin actually is. Because one of the things you don't want to do is, is essentially kind of jump the shark with it, tout yourself as a massive digital twin platform, and then don't fit inside of the definition that the industry actually lands on. Digital twin also suffers from a lot of the problems that LOD and LOA does, right? Um, in that, Digital twin in its, you know, base definition is exactly what you said. It's a, uh, you know, a digital uh, representation of a physical asset. But at what point does it go from a model and data into a digital twin? And I think that that's what people can't agree on. Does it have to be so far down the line that we're actually reading real-time data from the equipment operating in the field? Or is it much towards the beginning of the spectrum, which is models, data, reality capture, yeah. right? And so I think that that, you know, digital twin is something that is absolutely applicable to our industry, but it is something that, that I think is going to be uh, debated for years to come. I mean, think about it, LOD is still being debated. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that's been going on for, for a decade or longer. I think so, it's interesting because the, uh, you know, you mentioned, is it at the end when we're looking at the sensors or is it the beginning? And in fact, a lot of what I came across is it has to do with the full tracking something through its full life cycle, which would yeah. be from the beginning all the way to the end. And I do think a lot of people think, oh, I created a model that's a digital twin. But what people are missing the point of is at the end of its life, am I tracking how it's being used? Am I looking at it for maintenance? Uh, there were some examples that I saw where you could actually track material. So imagine we had something that was, say something was aluminum, that if I wanted to create a digital twin of that, I could predict what it'll be like at the end of its initial life. And then what is the salvage value of that? What can I use that material elsewhere? And it seemed like at least in my initial views, that everything had to do with how it gets collected after, you know, in the end. Like I hand the keys over to the owner and now that's when we start collecting data on a digital twin. 
The AEC Disruptors Podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and costs. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know that we sent you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree because if you, if, if you think about it, uh, uh, you know, we've always been trying to get the, to this life cycle model management state, right? Where, um, you, you know, you start with napkin sketches and at the end you, you end up with a full-fledged digital twin that can be handed off to the owner that can be used for maintenance purposes, facilities management purposes, things like that. Um, and the thing is, is that is the term applicable, right? Like, is the industry in a place where we can even use the term if we define it that way? Um, I, I think that we can, but it, it, it's once again, just like with many things in AEC, the, the concept of a digital twin is something that happens across teams, across platforms, um, across various solutions. So I think the industry, when, when we have all these, these ready-made uh, uh, applications, when people think digital twin, they're like, oh, what software runs the digital twin? Yep. Oh, no, so, that's exactly. So, Daniel, what do you think about um, what happens if the industry never arrives on a definition? And, you know, I want, I'll preface by saying uh, when I was looking, when I was doing the research, I came across two different quotes, one from um, uh, Clifton Harness, who's actually the CEO of TestFit, but he was speaking from the perspective of the architect and then just of another contractor and both quotes. So I'll read these uh, for Clifton said, you know, very few buildings are getting a digital twin because of the level of detail that has to go into it. The modeling is so high, the architect doesn't get paid enough to do anything like that. And then I find another quote by a contractor or someone in construction that says digital twins are the backbone for a lot of our decision making in the construction sector. They use it to determine things like schedule, are we falling behind, the risks they're facing. And so it's the same industry and it's one segment that says, there's no way. And then there's another segment that says, oh, it's super critical. So Daniel, then how do you, or what would you do if no one ever comes to an agreement of what a digital twin is? And is that okay? That's funny, because this is the perfect uh, kind of salesman question here. I approach this conversation as, who am I talking to with an audience? Because there is no set definition, and you have such a scale of expectations. You look at the smart cities out um, you know, in the Middle East that are the kind of dream scenarios of a digital twin, and they're literally built from the ground up with that vision in mind. So coming to an owner, who, who's my audience? Who am I talking to? And what are their expectations and what they're looking to accomplish? Because like you said, you pitch two different ideas to the architect and one to the general contractor, and they have their own concept of what that digital twin is. So even if the industry never agrees what that actual term is, there's gonna be isolated definitions of it. Are we doing this to save 
construction cost and construction schedule like is important to the general contractor are we giving the um, owner the building owner more context to beginning for life cycle management and giving them the infrastructure to start tracking this data to start integrating iot systems and making turning their building into a small building or are we talking to a municipality uh, i know atlanta has done some work with georgia tech here and they just started with north avenue tracking um, traffic patterns and being able to optimize lights and things like that talking to somebody from an academic point of view that is the backbone of an of a digital twin so just seeing how we've come from digital prototyping like you like your apollo 13 example into the manufacturing industry of test running a digital engine for a thousand hours looking for uh, failures and then moving into BIM, there's never been a solid definition and I'm not really expecting it to. So it's really up to us as thought leaders to keep that entire scale and spectrum in mind when we're having these conversations. Have those amazing cities in the Middle East be the ideal that we're working for and then cities like in Japan and Tokyo that are starting to revolutionize existing infrastructure and then look at uh, an American and, and uh, European models of what the cities are looking like and then take it from owners. So it's everybody's different opinion and having an open mind and open dialogue is really going to make everybody happy because then we can escalate the expectations and we can grow naturally and they know what to ask for instead of just saying, I want a digital twin, give it to me. No, you know, that's a great point because when we, uh, we posed that question, you know, what is your definition or what do you think? And at the end of it, we had a handful of people, we kind of landed on just what you said that, you know, there, there will never be one definition. It's always a use case scenario because what's a digital twin to you is a digital twin, but it may not necessarily be what I need as an owner. You know, you as an architect are trying to do a thousand iterations of a design. You as a contractor are trying to make sure that you're, you're managing your risk or you're looking for safety. And then me as an owner, I'm trying to figure out things like long-term maintenance and life cycle. So as long as if we sit around waiting for that definition, that's the one only, then yeah, we'll be waiting forever. But if we recognize, as you were saying, as you both were saying, that there isn't one, that's okay. And we need to be able to listen to what the use case is and then apply, you know, said technology or said solution to it. Yeah, it's really yeah. good to see how the AEC industry has kind of approached this. And again, just the same example, BIM to an architect is one thing. It is iterative design. It is uh, conveying that, uh, that information for an owner, for a vision. But then you have a definition of BIM for a general contractor, which involves 360 photos, reality capture. There are just different priorities. And then we have fabricators who can take an architectural or an engineering design and still need a completely third version of this for prefabrication and things that lend themselves to their speciality. And there's still some disconnect. We definitely know that. But at least everybody's accepting that different segments of the industry has different priorities and different needs needs when it comes to model-based data. Mm -hmm. Brett, you had something? Yeah, I, I think that the two quotes that you read are, are, are really, really exemplary or exemplary of exactly what the industry faces, right? You've got the, the architect who is like digital twins will never be achieved because we will never get to what we want. Yep. And you've got the GCs who have already accepted a combination of BIM 
and reality capture and drawings as a digital twin. And that's how they refer to it. Not all of them, but obviously this person where this quote was taken from. Yep. So it, it's one of those things that comes into where all of our terminology eventually ends up is that uh, there could be a digital, you know, something considered a digital twin that is simply model data scans and drawings. Mm -hmm. And then there could be a digital twin that is so uh, fully fleshed out that you can count the threads on the bolt that's holding the, uh, you know, the plate to the concrete. Yep. Um, and I really think it does need to be flexible because if you have that definition, what happens is, is um, there's a misconception on what, what is a digital twin and what are the models? And when does the digital twin stop being a digital twin or when do the models become a digital twin? You know, I, I don't know. Um, and, and we haven't even talked, you know, we could talk for days dissecting it because we haven't even got to the, the AI machine learning aspect that where it actually is able to, once we start collecting all this data and using all these sensors, um, you know, I mean, there are things like image recognition that occurs just to track safety on a job site. You know, these in a way you could build all of that to influence what would be just a massive digital twin. I mean, there's definitely challenges that we face. And I think one of the biggest ones I would, I would consider is it's, it's a ton of data. And anymore, there's the risk of the security of it, right? So we now, if you are creating a digital twin, are you now responsible for securing all of that data that you've collected? And when do you stop collecting it? And when do you archive it? Uh, and I think that along with the cost will be the two things that really are going to be um, major obstacles. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. Live Lab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits from the comfort of your own office. Yeah. Any thoughts on those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is another example that we ran into at my old firm, right? Uh, and, and I keep going back to this one because I feel like I hit every major industry problem that we talk about nowadays at that firm. But ultimately, they, they say, all right, Brett, come in and change the way we do things. So I come in, and what a project that used to be 54 megabytes of PDFs, you know, or, you know, maybe 200 megabytes of PDFs is now 60 or, you know, or, or uh, you know, 600 megabyte Revit files. Yep. Or... Uh, you, you, you know, 400 megabyte civil 3D files. And then you've got the scans on top of that. And then you've got all of that. And next thing you know, guess what we're doing? We are replacing our servers. Yep. Right? Because then, you know, everyone's like the hard drives are running out of space and everything's <laughs> not working right. And everything's slow. Yeah, we had to upgrade our switches on, mm -hmm. on, our, on our server boards because we had like, you know, 100 megabyte switches in there and they weren't cutting it. So not only with technology and the amount of data that you have to store, you have to have the infrastructure to support it. I mean, there are people out there right now that are putting a hard drive with a scan on it and FedExing it to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> At this very moment. Yeah, <laughs> yep.
Nope. So, so the thing is, is the concept of the digital twin is very difficult to maintain then because if it's not being updated in real time with the data, is it not a twin until we receive that scan and import it? True. You know, it's, yeah, it's not a real live, you know, and what's funny is when I, uh, so I was looking up for images so I can like put it on my PowerPoint. And of course, the first thing I look for is like, a like blue digital version of myself, right? Like that's what a digital twin is. And then I came across an article that said, you know, that's what everyone thinks, but what a digital twin really is. And then it showed like this diagram that had like a bunch of points and lines that connected it. And it were like, sort of neural network it looked like a brain it was like that's really what a digital twin is and so it's you know it's the what we think you know i was looking for that exact replica that was that real time you know and in a way that neural network it very easily could be outdated if we are waiting on that uh that scan to come in the mail um as we start to wrap up i'm curious to get both your thoughts as to kind of where we want to where we're going to go um, I know I, I've seen several things. I would say the few, first thing that I found super um, impactful was the growth opportunity uh, for this industry. And uh, currently, and we'll, you know, this article was written in the beginning of the year, so obviously pre-COVID, um, which has its own impact. Um, but it showed that the market itself, the industry itself, was about $3.8 billion. And it showed by 2025 to get to a $36 billion industry. Um, and how that could then influence all these other things. So do you, you know, I want to get both your thoughts on, do you feel like that's a, a, a fair assessment? Do you really see us being able to get to what will become a $36 billion industry in the next so many years? Or is that like a really lofty goal of where we're, you know, are we going to just be debating what it is for the next five years? You want to go first, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we'll get there, and I, it may even be other, undershooting it, but I think we'll get there not by accident or, and not by design because there's going to be a lot of cultural shifts and changes with project delivery, and we've seen it, again, on the BIM side. Architects and general contractors agreeing outside of contract, outside of the design-build structure, to start their constructability review. And these aren't contract-driven arrangements. These are traditionally just cultural arrangements and relationships that architects and, and general contractors are kind of coming to an agreement, understanding that there's a shared risk and a shared value, and we need to be more open with that. And as we start to make these changes, that industry number is going to balloon and we're going to get there again without a specific design to get the digital twins. These other technologies are going to slowly kind of rising tide lifts all shifts kind of scenario. And I think that number itself will be hard to define, but I think it's well within the realm of being kind of an accurate forecast and representation of where we'll be in that time frame. So question, question before I answer, um, the $36 billion mark, is that inside of AEC or is just that... the digital twin industry in general? Uh, okay. It's going to get there and, and it's not going to be completely because of us. Um, for, for instance, um, it, there's a platform out there called, uh, uh, I believe it's called river. There's another one. I can't even remember what it's called. I wish I would have looked it up. But they're using digital twins and in, in well, they're calling them digital twins, but they're using them for training in retail in um, you know safety sensitive situations where yep. they're basically creating interactive photogrammetry and dropping people like cashiers or steel you know uh, uh, fabrication workers 
into these environments where they're not doing any design or anything. They're actually training around the information that was captured so that they don't, uh, you know, uh, have to take that risk in real life. Same thing with law enforcement, right? Yep. And the uh, active shooters, active shooters, the recreation of accidents, all of that stuff. So I think digital twin, uh, obviously, uh, our industry should be the ones to, to take the hold on this and, and do it, do it really good. Um, I think that we will. But one thing I think that separates us from these other industries is a lot of these use cases for these other industries are, are really isolated and one offs. Yep. The thing about the construction industry is everything has to tie together into the schedule, into the budget, into mm -hmm. all of these complicated things of teams working together. As to where outside of that, usually these use cases are very isolated. Oh, I scan the, uh, you, you know, I scan the uh, cashier's desk at Walgreens and then we train the new employees in it. It's a very, very isolated, controllable uh, use case. Yep. So I think that the, the digital twin industry is going to have, as we said, many different variations of definitions, most mm -hmm. likely across different industries. It's going to have various definitions inside of our industry. And uh, I, I think that uh, I think that we'll get there. I, I hope that it's AEC that helps that number get there because yep. I really think that we need it. But but I honestly don't think it's going to be all of us. <laughs> you know, I, uh, what's interesting is the um, the COVID nineteen impact actually, I believe, is going to have a positive impact if if it can on the uh, digital twins. And some of the examples we're doing those simulations of you know we were talking about the brewery at the beginning being able to safely be at the brewery and distance ourselves um, using this technology to perform those simulations of traffic patterns, like circulation through a building, things we didn't have to think about before, or we really didn't consider um, being able to start to simulate even things like, you know, air particles traveling through a space and how far and how do we redefine our spaces um, being able to use it to retrofit properties that, you know, there was a, a lot of hospital hotels were being converted into hospitals sort of as a, a makeshift. Let's, you know, let's build more capacity in beds. Well, if we had digital twins for all of those, um, those uh, hotels, it would have been an easier effort to be able to see how many beds can I actually fit in here. And so I think there will be a positive impact in terms of really how we analyze space, how we design, you know, as a designer, we're used to thinking about space, but normally we're all talking about, congregation and community and fellowship and bringing people together and now we have to think a little bit more about how do we keep them safely apart and how do we make sure that they can interact in a space with each other and get the same enjoyment before now as they did and i think modular construction will be another thing you'll see as a, a boom because yeah of it. you know another another point to this and i think you're exactly spot on there um not only does the digital twin concept allow us to be places that we can't be it also allows us to be away from people that we need to communicate with from a physical standpoint yep same thing with some of the things we're seeing with our our product on site um right now if you're using paper in the field and you've got to talk to somebody on site well how do you do that right you put the paper on a table and you stand right next to each other yep with our product uh, and any product like ours, you know, it's not just ours, anything that allows that mobile consumption of data, you can both be on site, both be looking at the data, 
and still maintain that six foot distance on site and yep. still achieve the same exact goals. So technology, not only in how we use the actual data that we create, but how we deliver it and how we consume it is all going to play a big role on how we move forward past this whole COVID situation. Mm -hmm. Because I chances do. are we're going to be with this for quite a while. It's not going to be going away. And, um, you know, it's really important. It's just like any other safety sensitive situation on site. It has to be taken seriously and we have to find ways to mitigate risk. And that's the bottom line. Um, yeah, it, I don't think it's going to go or there'll be something in its place. So it's kind of awoken us to we need to pay a little more attention or maybe slow down. Um, so before we wrap up, I want to ask you, I want you to give me your hot take. Give me your hot take on where do you think what digital twins will be or what's going to happen with digital twins? We'll start with Brett. Okay, so I think digital twins are going to take off. I don't think that the industry is ever going to be able to agree on what a digital twin is, but I think the concept of them is going to take off. And what I think is eventually going to happen is it's the terminology as companies like ours and, you know, Autodesk and Bentley and all of that. Um, if the industry doesn't decide what they want, marketing will. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where the concept is completely valid. People are already using iterations of digital twins now, especially the advanced ones. Um, I think that we're going to see a push towards consuming this data out of the AEC industry and into FM. And I do think that the digital twin industry is going to achieve its, its goals. And I think that we're going to play a big part of it. Well, what, I don't, what I don't see happening is, is the industry saying, everyone knows that this is exactly what a digital twin is. That's the only thing I really don't see happening. All right, Daniel, what's your hot take as we wrap up? Um, I think a lot of this is going to be incremental. So we are going to be, before we know it, we can look back 10 years from now and not even pinpoint how we got here. Similar to the smartphone phenomenon, we went from BlackBerry and, and texting and emailing being a Nextel. huge culture shift. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the next LB. I thought that, it was that, so that cool. Long I long could like walkie talk. <laughs> Only people I knew to walkie talk to my grandfather and my uncle. That was it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we, we we got in trouble with those because you couldn't mute them in any way so anything you said is coming through on the other end and Sorry. that's the kind of transition we'll see but we see kind of small advancements in technology like that or um incremental advancements like blackberry in texting and then the natural graduation was a fully mobile immersion with our culture and we're going to see that as well so when it ties back to the end owner understanding the IOT metrics. How does the, um, how, you know, how do the electrical systems in my own home charge my phone remotely? All of these consumer driven things are just going to start to be there as the demand goes. And that's how the owners I think are really gonna push it. You might see some larger developments uh, in the university systems and the hospital systems, ones that are core critical management. Um, that they need this stuff and it's going to be by design and they're going to be leading the commercial side as, a, as well and they're going to have that cohesive vision if there is one but overall I think it's going to be incremental and we're going to turn around and it's going to be here before we know it based off of all of these small steps we're making. Now let's just hope we can actually contribute to some of those small steps huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, I appreciate it. Um, I'm glad we finally get, we've talked about this for a while. I mean, Daniel, you reached out to me a while back and originally we were, we were going to like meet up for a beer and now the thought of that terrifies me. So I don't <laughs> <Yep>. know. <laughs>
Yep. <laughs> and so yep. here we are. I'm glad I've gotten, uh, I'm glad we've gotten to talk. I'm sure there'll be other things we come up with because uh, you guys are super knowledgeable in your, in your practice area. Is there anything else you want to say before we sort of log off here? No, oh, no, I just uh, really appreciate you putting this together for us. Um, this was really fun. Like, this was a Brett and I's first thing, and he and I talk shop a lot. Yeah. So it's good to bring in some extra voices here, get a different audience. And, um, yeah, just uh, it definitely mixed up our day and looking forward to more of this. I know. I, you know, I, I like doing these. I, I would say I, I'm anxiously I'm – I get anxious beforehand for what, just because I'm an anxious person. But then I get like a high at the end. I'm like, oh, that was so much fun getting yeah. to talk to, you know. <laughs> it like breaks up the day and whatever you're having to do. Um, Brett, anything else before we, we log off here? No, just thank you for having us on. I, I, I personally love having these conversations. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the face of actually, you, you know, getting things accomplished, sometimes these don't do that. But in the long run of things, what it's going to take for all of us to come to some form of conclusion that we can all agree upon is to have these conversations out in the open. Yep. So the more people can see these conversations and the thoughts that the people in the industry have behind them, uh, the more people will uh, be able to formulate their own thoughts. And over the course of the years, I think we'll be a lot closer on this topic than we are now. Um, it, it's just going to take some evolving use cases, right? Because over the course of the next 10 years, we're going to figure out what people are really using them for and what they're not. And mm -hmm. what people are really using them for is probably going to be the big driver for how we, we define this, uh, at least inside of our own industry. I but uh, this has been great. Thank you. All right, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, be on the lookout. Thank you, and uh, thanks, guys. All right. All right thank you, much. everybody. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoyed this episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2020.